Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look together at verse 10. The Apostle Paul speaks to the church of Ephesus. And this is what we might refer to as a farewell message. He outlines all that he wants to encourage the church to do. And his salutation, his signature, is found in these verses. Finally, my brethren. I could see Paul measuring the weight of his luggage that he needs to carry with him as he departs the church of Ephesus. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Brethren, we live in one of the most technologically advanced and yet fragile environments in history. The world is stitched together electronically so that what happens here affects someone in another part of the world that we are maybe completely unaware of their existence. And as we look at man's ability, we must never forget that everything that man has created comes with the warning, it is fragile. It is not reliable. It is not permanent. It is not your go-to because only God is our go-to in the moments of greater need. But just imagine with me for a moment a life without electricity, no internet, no refrigerator, no microwave, no air conditioning. A recent preventive campaign was done in Austria by the Austrian Ministry of Defense about the possibility, they say, of a major power outage. They say it could leave millions of people to consider this hypothetical situation. And then the article further says, although power outages as much of the world, in much of the world are unusually temporary and to some extent controlled, millions of people have gone hours, days, and even months without electricity. There are places around the world where they don't really care whether the power goes off. My wife and I have seen some of those places. When we were in the outback of certain parts of Africa, there are parts of Africa that are highly advanced technologically. Then there are places where huts are still made of mud and cow dung, where the walls are put together by straw and wood, where they don't microwave their food. Their food is outside walking around until a couple of days later it becomes the meal on their plate. Those are the places you want to be when the power goes out because they say, what power? They don't even know. They light their candles in the evening. They use, and this is a strange thing, and we've seen it happen before. They said cow dung is very... Uh, it's easy to light because it has nitrogen in it. And it can burn for long 
periods of time. And unlike we might be thinking, it does not burn with a bad scent. But those of us that live in cities, those of us that rely on the power grids, the things that surround us every day, this is what I might refer to as a segue of a message to remind us that as we rely on the resources of humanity, as we approach the challenges of the last days, we need to rely even more heavily on the resources of divinity. I read an article not too long ago about famous power outages, and I'm going to walk through them chronologically. And these are primarily in the ones that made the news. For example, November 9, 1965, there was a power outage in New York City. I was seven years old. Did I just tell you my age? <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Forget that last, forget that last fact. Thirty million plus were without power for about 13 hours. It affected eight, units, eight U.S. East Coast states, including Ontario and Quebec. I survived that one. I remember I was home when Papa arrived home. He told us the story of being on the A train coming home when the power went out and the train stopped in the dark tunnels under the streets of New York City. And because he always had a flashlight, that's why even to this very day, I got a flashlight in my backpack. If the lights go out in broad daylight, I have my flashlight. You'll get that on Tuesday. But he tells us how he walked and led a multitude of people through the subway channels there in New York City because he was one of the few that had a flashlight, not relying on the resource of man, but always ready, never caught in the dark. And then there was another repeat of a blackout in New York City, July 13, 1977. My wife and I remember that one very well. We were dating at the time. We were dating three years at that time. We sat on our steps as we watched the world fall apart around us. I was not back in the church yet. I was playing pool in a, in a billiard hall, and it was about my time to take the shot, and the lights went off, and I thought the guy did that to keep me from making my shot. And I went outside when he yelled. I didn't do that. And I went outside and I saw the streets like going off block by block. It looked like it was a sequential blackout just going in either direction. And in a matter of moments, pandemonium broke out. You can hear glass breaking. In a matter of minutes, I saw a car set on fire. It's like humanity lost its mind. And for 24 hours, New York City was in chaos. But on February 19, 1998, parts of downtown Auckland, New Zealand were not without power for 24 hours or 13 hours, but for five weeks, they were without power. The impact on tourism was devastating. 40% of the hotel bookings were canceled. More than 70,000 people were forced to travel to other locations to work. The Bank of New Zealand, for example, closed nine of its branches and transferred all of their employees to other branches during this five-week period. 
and more than 800 retail stores and businesses closed. Out of 1,000, only 200 were left operating. Five weeks. What would you do if you had no power for five weeks? Could you survive? I want you to know that God never has power outages like that. And then July 30th, my birthday, and July 31st in the year 2012, several power grids failed, leaving 670 million people without power in India. 10% of the world's population was in darkness. And they learned a major lesson from that, Curtis, because nowadays, even though thousands were paralyzed, not being able to move, and traffic lights were out by the thousands, and hospitals were critical, hospitals were, uh, were crippled. Today, when there's a power outage in India, people hardly notice it because they now all run off of diesel generators. So there could be a power outage and life continues. But just imagine for a moment, coming to the end of your journey, and there is a power outage, crippling you in the final stages as you're about to enter the promised land. And such was the case, as we are going to walk through today, of the children of Israel. But let's go even deeper, and I want you to stay awake. I know sometimes I, I tend to put children to sleep, but I want you to stay awake this morning as you hear what God has to say to you. Because it gets deeper than India and the United States and Auckland, New Zealand, but imagine a world where the power of God has been turned off. We open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And as you're turning there, let me set the stage. The timing of the story was from the wilderness to the promised land. A journey intended to take just a few months lasted 40 years. The location of the story, the crossing of the Jordan. The setting, failures and victories flood the minds of those standing on the border, getting ready to enter the promised land. Voices present at the Exodus are now absent at the crossing of the Jordan. Gravestones now dot the journey of the 40-year trek of the children of Israel. And yet in this last push and final hill, they stand on the borders of the promised land, knowing that this is the grand finale, no time to quit. But the challenge of the story is Moses is dead. And Joshua gets the call to grab the steering wheel and guide the now grown-up Israelites from the border into the promised land. His lack of experience will challenge him as he is about to lead two and a half million Israelites across the border. And now that we go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 20, to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 6, the parting words of Moses become the marching orders of Joshua. Now, these are a lot of verses, but I want you to follow with me, and they will be on the screen. The parting words of Moses become the marching orders of Joshua. Moses gives Joshua reason to look back, to find courage to go forward. And here are his words. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 20. He says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast. 
and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things. Can you say amen? That's what God does for us. He continues, which your eyes have seen for 40 years. Your eyes have seen it. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. Are you seeing the story unfold? He says in chapter 11, verse 1, Therefore, you shall, say it with me, church, love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God his greatness and his might, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. I'm speaking to those who have seen it, he says. In verse 3, his signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land. But then Moses continues. What he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. What he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abram, the son of Eliab, the son of Reuben, and how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. Their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. That's the kind of God I want on my team. What do you say? Moses is recounting all that God brought the Israelites through. And can I make the application today? Many of us would not be here if God did not do the same for us. The battles we face, the obstacles we surmount, the enemies that stand up against us, those who live in our midst that desire to twist our allegiance from God to them or from God to another leader. In every one of the, these instances, Moses is reminding the Israelites that they can cite any number of reasons why they could be discouraged. There are multiple instances where they almost didn't make it, but he's talking to them because he says, God kept you through all of that. Amen. And we are here today. Regardless of all the things we would like to have, we are here today because God has kept us through all of that. We can complain that the journey is taking too long, but God knows when the journey is going to end. That's why I like Deuteronomy 11, verse 7. All the complaining, Moses says, like this. Listen to this. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord which he did. Can you imagine being there having seen all that? Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be, say that word, 
strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. And that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. I just want to say God is amazing. I mean, I, I, when I read this story, I couldn't help, Ricky, but to pause and look back at my humble beginnings in New York City there on the third floor on 15 Madison Street, looking out of the window of my green and yellow room. <laughs> Robbie D., I don't know what possessed me. I had a bright yellow wall, and all my window trimming was bright green. My room was never dark. Amen so much. I had sun even when it was cloudy. I remember dating Angie. She said, why is your room so bright? And Lord have mercy when the sun was out. Bright yellow walls. And I just, nobody told me about blending colors. But I made sure that when you came into my room, there was sunshine in my soul today. But I remember sitting in that room Back in the day when those of you that have been around long enough know, you know, some of us grew up without air conditioning. And can I get a witness anywhere? You know, those hot days where humidity just wouldn't quit, and you turn a little fan on, your little crickety fan that don't have much RPMs, and all it's doing is blowing more humidity at you. <laughs> Anybody remember that? I had this little crickety fan, and... Uh, you take a shower and you come out of the shower and before you dry off, the humidity is back. I look back at that and I say, God, you took me from that to this. Around the world, more than 60 countries. To make, to God be the glory, to make a name, a household name, when I didn't even know who my father and mother was at the time. So I don't read this story as saying that was Israel's experience I read that story and say, yes, the Lord did take me from abject abandonment to a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. And it does us well if we could just pause in our successful moments. It will do you well, as the songwriter says, count your blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Right, Ramona? God can do amazing things. When I look back at people's lives, I'm looking at faces, and I know their stories. Mary Kay, I know her story. I know the stories. I look at people. I'm just trying to not mention all the stories. But I can tell people that we meet and where they are today, God finds us and puts us together. I remember Donna, when Donna came to a church and lost her husband, so sad, never wanted to be married again. And we found Ron in the Holy Land, and now they're in holy matrimony. Both of them not looking for a spouse, but God said, I'm not finished with you yet. God finds us where we are and brings us to a land flowing with milk and honey. So, so Moses was saying to Joshua, don't place your trust in things that are variable. Don't lean your shoulders on things that are going to move. Don't invest in things that are not stable. Put your faith and trust in God. You see, the very thing that God did for Moses and Joshua, he is willing to do for us. 
So the first ingredient in the no power shortage scenario is found in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. And we're going to Joshua because Joshua was the one, this younger man that took the mantle from Moses, looked at the two and a half million hard-headed Israelites and said, we've got to cross over by God's grace. And surely they did. Joshua 1 and verse 1. Hmm. Look what the Lord said. Joshua 1 and verse 1. And we read in the word of God, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' what? Assistant. Saying. Now we're going to go through what the Lord said to him, but let's first start with the first point that I want to bring out. The Lord spoke to Joshua. The Lord spoke to Joshua. The Lord does not just speak to Joshua. The Lord speaks to every one of us. I call this the reciprocity of listening. The reciprocity of listening. You see, God listened to Joshua because Joshua listened to God. When God spoke, Joshua listened so that when Joshua spoke, God listened. The blessing or the reciprocity of, of, of God or the reciprocity of listening is if we want God to hear us when we speak, we've got to hear God when he speaks. But so many of us today have what we call this, guess, this list of things. We pray for God when we need something. But we fail to realize that we need God even before we need something. We just need God. Period. I need God every day of the week. Whenever my day goes bad, even pastors have bad days. Whenever my day goes bad, I could always trace it to I rush through my devotional life. Or when, when my wife and I get so busy, we get on each other's nerves. Don't sit there like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, some of you come to church smiling. And you know, during the week, I had a few hours where you didn't talk to each other. So what? I don't care. I don't care either. We all growing up together. Amen, somebody. We're human. God puts a husband and wife together to help the husband know what he deals with with the church. And God gives wives, husbands, to let them know there's not a man on the planet like God. But the blessing that I want to bring out first in this statement is the greatest blessing is hearing the word of God. Let me say that again. The greatest blessing is hearing the word of God. Why is that a blessing? The very first attack that came to this planet was because God gave Adam instruction. Adam gave Eve instruction. And Satan's first attack was questioning what Eve heard God say. Today, if you're not spending time reading God's word and a trial comes, you don't have any resource to draw from. And to fight a battle without God's word is to fight a losing battle. Because if Jesus used the word of God to fight his own enemy when he could have simply said, get thee behind me, Satan, he could have, he could have thought Satan out of existence. But he said, it is written. 
And brethren, today there's a reciprocity of listening. The reciprocity comes that when God speaks, we listen. You see, the tactics that Satan used on Eve, he wants to use on us today, and it's still in production today. And so many of us, we were talking about that. Why do people not accept what God's Word says? We talked about that in our Sabbath school class today. How could people be in such darkness when the Word of God could be found everywhere in Walmart and in digital format and all different translations? How could people be in such darkness today when God's Word is not hidden? They don't want to hear what God has to say. Secondly, the reason why so many people are not aware of what God has to say is we allow distractions to supersede our commitment to hearing God's word. Yeah, we have some devices called a phone. I can't tell you how many times when we pick up our Bible, the phone rings. So I tell my wife, let the phone ring. We don't have to answer the phone. Or that very familiar sound, ding. Somebody's texting me, hold on. We don't have to answer the text. Sometimes you leave that text in favor of this text. Sometimes you need to just get your phones and your watches away from you so it could be just you and God. Because nowadays, it's not like when we were growing up where you would get in your car and that meant, oh, I don't have to hear anybody talk to me on the phone. I could drive for 60 miles and be completely at peace. Those days are over. Am I right? Manufacturers are so aware of the fact that we live in a world of constant interruptions that I thank the Lord that they have this new thing, in my, at least in my phone, where you can turn it on, I'm driving. So when somebody calls, they get a, I'm driving. And you know what? That has saved so many lives because folk are trying to text while they drive. We're so pulled in by the electronic world that whenever God tries to break into that barrier, the devil stands between us and him to redirect our minds. Notice how he does it. Look at Matthew 13 and verse 19. The Bible gives us understanding of how what Satan did to Eve is happening still today. Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, here comes the devil. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Let me break that down a little longer, a little further. Seed by the wayside. Notice it says by the wayside, not in the center, not in the vineyard. When the sower was sowing, and you look at the picture in the Bible, when the sower went forth to sow, he would simply scatter seed. And sometimes the seed would get to places where there was not much earth and it could not really actually get roots. But the, the soil that it grabbed, it sprung up very, very quickly, but it had no root in itself. But what actually happens here, it's describing that as the word is being sown, birds are snatching those seeds as soon as it hits the ground. You got to watch out for the birds in your life. Some of your friends are the birds in your life. Some of your entertainment are the birds in your life. Are you listening? 
Some of you have set times to watch your set show, but how many of you have set times to study your Bible? The birds in your life. Some of you binge watch, but how many of you binge read? The other night I went to bed. I was so busy that my mind needed God's word for me. So busy redesigning lessons and laying this out and getting that ready for church. I went to bed and I said to my wife, oh. so I, I was laying there. I couldn't sleep. And you know why I couldn't sleep, Ron? Because I needed to read the Bible. But it was dark. You don't turn the lights on when your wife is sleeping. <laughs> so I decided to use my phone for something good. So I took my phone, Jay, and went to my Bible app, and I read the whole book of Philippians. Sorry, the whole book of Colossians. I said, let me read one chapter. It got so good. Let me read two chapters. By two chapters, I was hooked. Let me read one more chapter. Ah, let me just read the last chapter. So in my, in my accordance Bible, I, I was able between, oh, I think it was 1230 to 1.15 or thereabouts, I was there in the dark and the only light, and this is beautiful, I understood then what Jesus meant, what the word of God meant when he says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light. The only light in my room was my Bible. And after that, I was able to turn around and I felt a sense of, I needed that. You ever, you ever get that play? I needed that. You would never know how much you need God's word until you expose yourself to God's word. You'll never know the great benefit because on the surface it seems that when you read that passage, it seems as though that God is saying things hard to understand. But no, when you allow the birds in your life to interrupt your time with God, whatever that bird may be, your children, your job, your responsibilities, your house chores, set time aside that only you and God is going to spend that time in there. Some people set locations in their house. We know some friends that have a, a study room where that's all they do in that room is just study. Some people have a prayer closet. All they do in that closet is pray. And they don't take their phones. But the other danger that we read in Matthew chapter 13 is when preconceived ideas do not agree with what we understand, they become the, the preconceived ideas become the birds in our lives. I don't believe that, so I'm not going to study any further. We've got to watch out because if we don't take advantage of the opportunities presented to us today, the last great crisis is coming at a pace that many of us don't understand. Are you listening to the news? Some of you don't watch the news. That's all right. I watch the news. I need to be informed. There's a crisis coming. There's a crisis coming. And the leaders are not really disclosing the depth of that crisis, but there's one crisis that's going to come that I'm making sure by God's grace I'm ready for it. Let's look at that crisis in the book of Amos. This is, you know why I say this is coming? Because the first crisis was this very thing. The first crisis is going to be repeated in the last crisis. Look at the first crisis in its forward-looking setting. This happened in the Garden of Eden. It's going to happen again. Amos 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, the prophet Amos says, says the Lord God, that I will, what is the next word? 
send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Why? Because they would have an encounter with a power outage. That's why today the devil keeps so many of us so busy. Brethren, make time for God. Let me say that again. Make time for God. Those are those investment moments. I know people that they, they carry their phones, and I remember one guy sitting at a restaurant having a conversation, and I overheard the other guy saying, what are you doing? He said, I'm checking my stocks. I'm seeing what my profits are. Would it be nice that we could check our spiritual progress to see what our investments are? When you invest in God's word, the returns will be far greater than that of the returns of the stock market. Investing in God's word. In God's word, there is no power shortage. Can you say amen? Secondly, the omnipresence of God. First, the thing that came to Joshua was the reciprocity of listening, the reciprocity of reading God's word. When you read God's word, you're preparing yourself for the valleys that are ahead of you. The other thing that Joshua was being reminded of, and we'll look at that in verse 2, is the omnipresence of God. Joshua, wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. That's why my wife and I are encouraged. You know, somebody said to us, now that we're getting ready to go to Singapore, somebody said, now watch out what you say. Don't want to have to come over there and visit you in jail. I said, don't worry. Because God said he will be with us wherever we go. Look at verse 2 of Joshua 1. The omnipresence of God, the ever-present resource, the ever-present resource to draw from to get our strength. Moses, my servant, is dead. He's telling Joshua. But look at the very next word. Now, therefore, what's the next word? Arise. Whenever God's word comes to you, it says to you, you got to get up. You cannot receive God's word and stay sitting down. Whenever God's word comes to you, you got to get up. Arise. And look at the next word. Go. The two most powerful words in the proclamation of the gospel. Arise and what else? Go. Go therefore. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Did they have to fight for the land? Yes or no? Brother, no, they didn't have to fight. God gave it to them. So many of us are fighting for things in our lives that God will give to us if we would simply listen to the word of God. So many of us are battling with issues in our lives that are ours for the taking if we would simply allow the Lord to go ahead of us, to go before us. God went with them. Arise, go over Jordan. And then he says in verse 3, every, this is powerful, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, thank you for that amen. What if somebody told you that today? You know, who's, you know who was told this? Roger Williams was told this. 
by the colonists in Roger Williams' day. Roger Williams is considered the father of religious freedom. You see, the colonists, when we say, let's go back to, our, to the religion of our forefathers, I don't want to go back to that, because the religion of our forefathers was you had to believe certain things politically, you had to believe certain things scripturally to be a part of the political religious movement of their day. Roger Williams didn't believe that. So Roger Williams was banished from the colonists and made to live among the Indians. And he was told, wherever, whatever land your feet was, was able to walk on, whatever distance you are able to cover by foot, we'll give it to you. And Philadelphia became the land of religious liberty because Roger Williams walked what was later known as the city of Philadelphia. He walked that by foot. And that's where religious freedom was first established because Roger Williams took the colonists at their word, whatever ground your foot covers, what would you do if somebody said to you, you want to build a house? Sure. Whatever distance you walk, I'll give that land to you. How many of you would start walking right away? <laughs> I would. Like one guy said, my doctor told me walk five miles a day. At the end of the week, he was 35 miles away. He said, what do I do next? <laughs> Some of you will get that on Tuesday. I will be with you. And then he says, whatever territory you cover, and let's look at the last verse. Then he says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And let's say the last part together, brethren. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's where that text comes from. But, but, but what just happened is you just ran through that because there's so much in those verses we just read that are powerful. For example, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give it to you. What a God. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What a God. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a God. So today, what is the message? It is not the size of your faith, but the size of your God. It is not the size of your intellect, but the potency of our God. It is not the height of our expectations, but the loftiness and grandeur of God's promises. One of the reasons why we face so many challenges is we don't take God's promises to heart. And you'll never know how to do that unless you're reading God's Word where the promises of God are stored. When you read God's Word and you find the promises, then you can take those promises to heart. Many of the things that we have in our own lives today, we said, God, is that what you want for us? And we've learned early. My wife and I learned early when God says, prove me now. God means prove me now. When we began our journey back in 1987, God's been proving himself ever since. Amen, honey? God's been proving himself ever since. 
So I don't mind continuing the journey with my sweetheart, with my wife, with my bride, because we've got, we've got history together. We've seen God move mountains. How many mountains in your life have you seen God move? How many circumstances have you seen God bring you through? How many conflicts have you endured because the promises that God made to Joshua, he says, no one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life, and let me give you some testimony. If the battles I faced, if I didn't put the battles I faced in the hand of the Lord, I wouldn't be here today. Oh, I was a young man in ministry, preaching all the food lists, all the do's and don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. I mean, I was preaching like a man cut loose. I, I've tempered as time goes, gotten, you know, gone on. One lady told me one day at the end of the church, she said, Pastor, you take so many exits. Don't take all those exits. I've had people come forward to me and correct my sermons. All right, I won't do that again. There were times that I became too frivolous in the pulpit and somebody said, no, don't handle God's word that way. I've grown, I've learned. But the one thing that God has been true and faithful on is every battle my wife and I have faced, God has brought us through it. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, let me tell our deacons that just got ordained today. Let me tell our leaders that are trusting God. Let me tell our church members that have committed their lives to Christ. When you commit your life to God, these promises are not just for Joshua. These promises are for those that commit themselves to Christ. So you don't have to say, man, I wish God would say that to me. That's exactly why it's written in the Word. All these things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So don't think that Joshua was different. We are in a journey just like Joshua. We're going to face obstacles just like Joshua. There will be giants. There will be Jerichos in our lives. But the God who brought Joshua through it will bring you through it. So I like this quotation. The Bible says in verse 17 of Joshua chapter 3, all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Did you get that? I want to just say that very quickly. They were walking through the Jordan. What the Bible passage says is every one of them from the first one to the last one didn't even get wet while they're walking through a river. Until all the people had crossed completely over Jordan. I know that's a deep one. You have to consider that. No amens necessary. God was taking Joshua only as Joshua was able to follow God. And why do I bring that out? God did not take Joshua immediately to the battle of Jericho. God was developing Joshua in his walk. How willing is Joshua to follow God? How faithful is Joshua in God's leading? How much is Joshua able to do and willing to do as God leads him? God will do the same for us. God will test you in the small areas 
so that he can see whether or not he can trust you in the large areas of your life. So the large moments will never come. Let me say this. The large moments will never come if God can't trust you in the small moments. God will not put you on a platform too large for you if you couldn't be faithful on the small platforms. God will develop you only as you are willing to be developed. So all of the promises of God, every one of them is conditional. If you will, then I will. If you do, then I will. If my people who are called by my name will do what? Humble themselves. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. All of the promises of God. have a condition connected to them. Before we can claim the promises, we must abide by the conditions. Look at verses 6 to 8 in Joshua 1. Be strong and of good courage. Church family, I say that to you. Be strong and of good courage. Can you say Amen. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And look at the condition. Only be strong and be what? Very courageous. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Look at the conditions. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. That you may prosper wherever you go. Those are the conditions. Before I go to verse 8, let me talk about the conditions. We serve a specific God. We serve a God with conditions. So if God says go left, he doesn't say go partially left or partially right. He says don't turn to the left or don't turn to the right. Here are all the conditions. As God gives us the conditions and we are willing to follow the conditions, the blessings will come. What did I just say? The blessings will come. But God will never send you a blessing to turn you away from him. He will always send you a blessing proportionate to your willingness to be obedient to what he lays out before us. Some of us want the blessing, then the obedience. No, it's obedience, then the blessing. You may wonder why the blessings don't come, because maybe some of you have turned to the left or turned to the right. And then he includes verse 8. And each of us, has to live our walk with Christ based on the law of our lives. Here it is. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in the what? Day and what else? Night. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And here's what the promise is. For then you will make your way, say it together, prosperous, and you will have good success. 
and then you will have good success. How many of you want success? That's what we're studying on Wednesday nights. Spiritual success. It's a phenomenal study. This passage is in one of the future lessons. Success is first spiritual before it's materialistic. Success is first between us and God before it is between us and man. God requires us to be faithful before him before we can be put on display before men. God does not put us in any place to cause us to take his glory, but God will only put us in places where we are reminded that the glory belongs to God. Success. And God didn't even say that he would have success. God said, you will have good success. That's like abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And I don't know a church member that does not want good success. But the blessings of God are always connected to the leading of God. A number of years ago, God gave me this statement, and here's what it says. God may not lead where you want to go, but he always leads where it is best for you to go. So I wondered, man, why did we have to go through all this just to get ready to go to Singapore? Why did God allow us to go through all of that? <laughs> and uh, when we were about to give up, <laughs> Matthew, 25, uh, Matthew 24, I think it's verse 4, or verse 8, one of the two escapes me right away. He who endures to the end. So when I looked at that video that the church had, they said, don't invite anybody. Don't talk about the meetings. Don't let anyone know that it's going to happen because there's no affirmation yet. There's no confirmation. But now I looked at it last night. We looked at it last night. And they opened the door. They said, it's been approved. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. God has opened the door. Amen, somebody. So why would God put us through all of that? God didn't want us to... Sh God was not showing us what he will do. He wanted us to see what we will do in the presence of obstacles. Because frankly, I was willing to say, you know what, I don't need to go through all this to go to Singapore. I'll go someplace else. But somebody said, as the elder said... If God wants you to be here, he'll move all the obstacles. But if he doesn't want you, fine. And I was settled in my heart. So I decided, rather than questioning God, I lead you to my last point. This is what I decided to do. It's called the alignment of divinity. Instead of walking behind God and walking in front of God, it makes a lot of sense to walk with God. That's what the 23rd Psalm is all about, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what is it? You are with me. You lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. When you walk with God, that's alignment with divinity. Why is alignment with divinity vitally important? Because some of us try to guess what God's move is next. And then we take it after God makes the move. But if we're connected with God, like my good friend Oswald Chambers talks about, I know Don Lowen reads Oswald Chambers. If you connect yourself with God, when you yoke up yourself with God, that's why he says, take my yoke upon you. The yoke doesn't mean you walk ahead of him. Any oxen yoked together, they walk together. 
When you yoke yourself with God, there's no need to try to figure out what God is going to do next. You yoke yourself with him, and as God moves, you know what, brethren? You don't have any choice but to move where God's moving because that's what a yoke does. But if you yoke yourself up with God and you want to move where God is not moving, you and God are going to live a life of tug of war. You want this, God wants that. But when you align yourself with God, as God moves, you move with him. I want to live a life of alignment with divinity. Not trying to figure it out and then do it, but God telling me absolutely nothing and simply saying, trust me. That's what alignment with divinity means, trust me. I know you don't like what you're seeing, but trust me. Can we trust God? Alignment with divinity doesn't say, what are you doing? And one of the most beautiful examples in Scripture of alignment with divinity was Abraham. Go sacrifice your son. Got it. No problem. Do it tomorrow. I'm still on my way to that one. Anybody else? I'm still on my way. I'm not there yet. But I'm on my way because I'm realizing when we are aligned with divinity... It is not us accomplishing anything, God accomplishing it for us as we walk with God. Look at Joshua 1 and verse 9. So beautiful. Joshua 1 and verse 9. That's why these words keep coming up. And I know we said it earlier, but I want you to see it now even more clearly. Look at what it says. Have I not suggested this to you? Say it again, Ricky. I'm suggesting you live with me. I'm suggesting you serve me. I'm suggesting you keep the Sabbath. I'm suggesting you live right. What does it say again? Have I not together commanded you? Now, the be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That means the reason why he's with you wherever you go is because you are with him wherever he goes. That's what the 144,000 are. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They don't go where he was. They go with him. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. <laughs> That's the song. Anywhere, anywhere. I just don't like that part in that song, which is anywhere with Jesus I can go to sleep. You don't sing that in church. <laughs> there's, a t there's, a, there's a verse, anywhere with Jesus I can go to sleep. I'd like to leave that out on Sabbath mornings. <laughs> but listen to this quotation from Adventist Holmes, a beautiful quotation. To all who thus seek the Lord, page 212, paragraph 4, Adventist Holmes. To all who thus seek the Lord, Christ becomes a what? Present help in time of need. They will be strong when, my friends, in the day of trial. Right. But you'll never know that unless you trust God when the sun is out. Unless you trust God before the temperature dips. Unless you trust God when everything is going well. As one, I talked about this last night to my family when Angie was doing family worship online. I remember the story about a, a young preacher who he was being persecuted, persecuted. People were talking about him, maligning his character, saying things that were not true about him. 
And somebody said, what are you going to do about it? He said, absolutely nothing, because the Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I'm so glad the devil's upset with me. I must be doing something right. A few months passed by, and people started treating him nicely. He said, I'm concerned. I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> he said, Lord, am I disappointing you? And just then, somebody threw, him and threw a rock and hit him. He said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> When things are going too well, sometimes you got to concern yourself. Because the Lord says, and I've said this before, if until we become a, uh, until we become a concern to the kingdom of, until we become a concern to the kingdom of darkness, we are no use to the kingdom of light. So the economy not, may not be with you, but God is. The stock market may not be with you. Your family may not be with you. The diagnosis may not be with you. The condition of your life may not be the best, but God is with you. Can you say amen to that? That's why I end with these words. I end with these words. My brethren, we're living in times that are going to get worse, but I want to remind you today there is no power shortage in the kingdom of God. So Paul was telling the Ephesians what I want you to hear today. Let's look at Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, my brethren, let me do something differently. Can we all read this together? Here we go. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to do what? To stand. That's right, a soldier walking out of the barracks with all of the armament on, and he walks out and says, where's the battle? And he's standing in the armor of God. This letter was written in 1888, letter 21A, 1888, paragraph 2. I love the way, and I'm going to close with this. As the work grows... If the workers will rely firmly upon the wisdom and power of God, firmly upon what, friends? The wisdom and power of God. Listen to this. Their minds will expand to keep pace with his opening providence. Meaning when God opens the door, they'll say, I knew he was going to do that. Because their minds are in harmony with his. She goes on to say, those who possess piety and ability should be encouraged to obtain the necessary education that they may assist in the great work of spreading the light of truth. Progress will then be seen in the great closing message for these last days. Thank God for the new program of canvassing. Come on, amen, somebody. Thank God for the work of our personal ministries department. We got Bible workers coming back. 
We want to get this church working. Because if my plans by God's grace, Lord, if we are going to do a series in, August, in, in April of next year, we got to start working now. We can't wait till a week later, a week before, and say, what do we do? Go knock on doors. No, nah, no, nah, people ought to know your name well by then. Your neighbors ought to know your name. They ought to know what church you attend. Start inviting them before that time. Get your minds focused. Don't focus on the fiscal cliff. Focus on the faithfulness of Christ. Focus on those things that Christ promises to control. Don't get caught off guard by the things you can't change or what you cannot control. Focus on the one that is still in control. Because today, I say, in a morally, financially, spiritually, and socially disconnected world, with God, there is no power shortage. Can you say amen? amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today. You spoke in clear, defined tones to Joshua about the road ahead of him. Lord, speak to us in clear tones about the road ahead of us. May we understand that there is a reciprocity in listening for the will of God is revealed and the heart that is willing to follow the will of God experiences the blessing, the sustaining grace of God, the ability for, of God to face our battles and come out victorious in our behalf. Today, Lord, remind us that in God's kingdom, in God's promises, in God's word, in obedience to the Lord, there'll be no power shortage. Some of us are facing trials that we didn't see coming, financial barriers that we did not anticipate, health challenges that seem to have the answers coming slowly, and relational disconnects that cause us to wonder what is tomorrow. But Lord, remind us today, as you said to Joshua, I will be with you wherever you go. Every place where your foot walks, I will give that to you as an inheritance. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So, Lord, may we commit ourselves to you, not because we see, but because we are so yoked with you that as you walk, we have no choice but to walk with you. As you cross, we cross. As you turn, we turn. Give us the willingness to be yoked with Christ that we will not fear the journey because we are walking a road that you have already trod. So take us from this place, Lord, but never from thy presence. Strengthen us and cause us to be that witness that Joshua was to those following his obedience. May they see in us what they saw in him and serve the God to whom he committed himself that we all together one day will cross over into the land that you have promised us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.